I see the lines going up and down, which is more than we get as some weeks. good as we've got. <laughs> <laughs> we have audio. Alrighty, cool. Or at least we have a squiggly line. It has a pulse. It may not be alive, but it has a pulse. It has a pulse. <laughs> Alright. Cool. Um, is there anything else? So, yeah, the... Hey there, folks, and welcome to this socially distanced and totally hygienic episode of the Player 2 Pixelcast. We're up to episode 58, and my name is Matt Hewson. I'm going to be your health minister for this presentation. Joining me are three highly trained specialists who, unlike the specialists in the Australian government, will actually get a chance to talk. First up, we have our minister for press conferences and telling News Corp to fuck off, Stephen Del Prado. How are you? I'm very well, actually. And ha- yes, I'm not the hugest fan of News Corp, <laughs> but it's probably all that you know media study I've done over the years. I thought you were the most appropriate person with your background in, in media. Next, we have our office in charge of excited media releases with lots of confusing terminology. Adam, how are you? That, oh, I'm so good. I'm feeling fantastic today. You always bring the excitement, so... <laughs> <laughs> hopefully hopefully I can hopefully we'll see can. we'll see it's been a while since you've been on too so it's good to have yes, both you I'm and Steve and finally we've got someone that's on all the time it's our foreign correspondent <laughs> who despite living <laughs> in a country which is currently in a state of emergency because of COVID will still have the opportunity to watch Australia come last in the shuttlecock at the 2021 Olympics <laughs> Tim how are you? Assuming this happened, I mean, maybe that state of emergency is at least in part because they're still focusing on hygiene and social distancing and realizing that maybe open a fucking window and cover your face is more effective at this point. Um, oh my gosh, the focus, the focus on just spraying everything in alcohol and making it seem like, and wearing gloves, which does absolutely nothing as opposed to ventilation is driving me slightly mad. But yeah, um, aside from the twitch above my eyebrow right here, I'm fine. <laughs> In case you haven't guessed tonight, we're talking about that little thing that's changed everyone's lives forever, COVID. More specifically, we're talking about the effect it has had on the games industry. But first, we need to talk about what we've been playing. Stephen, seeing as how you're having trouble moving right now, a big old fucking JRPG seems like just the right thing. Am I right? Uh... Absolutely. I mean, if if I'm laid up in bed and I can't move for quite a while, then what more would you want than a 100-hour epic JRPG that's actually probably the ninth part of a series when you really think about it? Man, uh, yeah, epic 100-gram uh, bag of cocaine. <laughs> well, see, then I probably would be moving again, Tim. So we've got, yes, The Legend of Heroes, Trails of Cold Steel, part four. Part four. Surprisingly, no more subtitles after that. Um, so it is the fourth in the Trails of Cold Steel sub-series, forming part of the Legends of Heroes series from Japanese uh, JRPG developer Nihon Falcom, who are probably unsung heroes of the industry in a way. They're pretty small compared to most other JRPG developers and fairly niche. Uh, I have been playing this series for quite a while, uh, since the PSP days, actually, when uh, Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky came out. Uh, and unfortunately, it's definitely not the place to jump into this series. The storylines yeah, are that very... the fourth game of the incredibly long title may not be the best. <laughs> I know. I'm the as shocked as anybody else. Point. But 
Unfortunately for uh, Falcom, no. The fourth entry, unlike Yakuza 0, is not the best place to jump in to this series. It's very story-heavy, and it has a lot of character development, and the world-building in it is second to none, in my opinion, in a lot of JRPG series. It The events follow through. They have weight. There are dramatic turns and all of these other exciting things. So it's really difficult to talk about the storyline as well because I could mention what's going on, but that would involve spoilers for the previous three games. So I'm not going to talk about that. But what I will mention is that if you haven't started this series, uh, then get onto it. It's available on PC, uh, PS4, PS Vita if you're really desperate and want it to chug like a frat boy in college. Um, But my understanding is that there is a glimmer of hope on the horizon and the first two entries in the series will be coming to the Switch sometime soon because, yes, you can only play the third and fourth entry at the moment. I I have a question. Yes. Did you did you write down the line "chug like a frat boy in college"? Were you just like waiting for a chance to bring up the Vita? No, that's that's just riffing. Well done. Steve's Classic gonna, Steve, right? Yeah, there. Yeah. He's going to get <laughs> a job on on FM radio with stuff like that. Yeah, Triple J's is going to come knocking and give you like the fart button and the whoopsie thing. And the- <laughs> Wouldn't I have to at least have a short-lived stint on some terrible reality TV oh, show that's to true, finagle yeah. a Z-list radio gig? That's it, come yeah. on, these jobs have prerequisites, people. <laughs> Being the second person kicked out of Big Brother at 2021. Yeah, it's, it's. I can't just walk in there. That's not how this works. Um, so what I've found so far is that uh, mechanically, they've addressed some of the issues that the third game in the series had. They switched up the battle system a fair bit for that title. Um, and in doing so, they made it a little bit easy to exploit, which was a complaint from some fans that it lacked some of the difficulty of previous entries, especially on some of the higher difficulty levels so they've switched that up and you can't just roll in with the same old tactics that you had in the third game it's honestly one of my favourite JRPG series of all time I wouldn't be possibly hundreds of hours deep into it at this point if it wasn't and if you are at all interested in JRPGs you owe it to yourself to at least try one of these games I'm sure you can pick them up fairly cheap on the PS4 at the moment which will run on the PS5, and for those first two games, especially outside of PC, it's probably the best p- place to play it because it did run into issues on both the Vita and the PS3 in terms of performance, sadly. Uh, not the most visually exciting games given the limited budgets that Falcom work with generally, uh, but there's not much more that I can really say about it without, again, ruining the storyline. And the storyline and character development is some of the most enjoyable parts of the series in my mind so is is it a turn-based battle system or is it a real-time battle system what 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 sort of trope are they going with in this one uh it's turn-based but it's it's got a lot more elements than that so it has a lot of the stereotypical things like uh you know fire versus water all of those sorts of things in terms of taking advantage of weaknesses and other elements turn order can be very important and status effects like impeding an enemy or slowing down their attacks or cancelling magic attacks can be crucial to winning some battles especially on the harder difficulties there's also a link system that similar to persona builds up as you develop the bonds between your uh, characters in your party so they might be able to take an attack for you or you'll cast a spell and they'll instantly 
up your uh, MP levels again. There's also extra attacks that use up skill points and then if you build up enough skill points you can do absolutely devastating attacks similar to like a summon from the Final Fantasy series which will just show a fancy little cutscene of your character going all out and if you build up another subset of uh, points accumulated during battle you can do further like all out attacks akin to the Persona series where say you've got five of these points you can do a massive attack with all of your characters diving in but the other thing you can do with those points is also cast basically a major buff to your entire party which can do things like negate damage for the next six turns or make it so that magic spells for the next four turns won't cost any mana at all and things like that so there's lots of little levers to pull in terms of the battle system i love that they did that there's there's such a those i swear to god this has been going on for a decade there's such a movement in the industry for rpgs to walk away from turn-based fighting i thought no it's it's old can't be done anymore it's boring we've done it all and then you see a game like this come out and they go like hey we're going to do these 50 little things so that you're always doing something during the fights or building up to the fight or trying to combo with other people and I love that I love it it goes even further because all of the characters have different weapon types so Mm. different weapon types are more effective against different enemies as well so you can chain those things together it's just sort of layers upon layers upon layers and if you want to you can just throw the game on very easy and basically face roll over your controller and get through the entire game with very little to no issues. But if you bump the difficulty up a little bit to normal, hard, or even beyond that, it becomes extremely strategic. You're worrying about juggling turn order, trying to ensure that you're focusing on particular enemies, exploiting weaknesses where possible, and it gives you just a really massive tool set to do all of these things if that's how you want to play the game. Very nice. So uh, it's available now? Yes, yeah, so it actually came out on the PS4 and PC last year, and they've just released the Switch okay. port, which so far is holding up pretty well. I did have some issues in the latter parts of the third game on Switch with uh, some freezes and other things that were happening in particularly demanding uh, sections of the game. You know, the last 10 or 15 hours or so, there's one particular city where clearly they've tried to go all out with the graphical engine, and if you turn certain uh, effects on like they've added a high speed feature because the game moves fairly slowly in terms of your character's run speed and things like that so this like sort of turbo booster is really helpful to cut your playtime down just in terms of the tooling around Uh, but what that can do at least in the third game is introduce a lot of issues so you get to a point where you have to turn that off or the game is just going to be soft locking on you uh, fairly frequently Um, I haven't got to any really large sections of 4 yet where that has been an issue but the series is pretty notorious for this it happened in the second and third game as well there always comes a point in the very last hours of the game where they really try to go all out and have a lot of characters on screen and a lot of things happening and it again just really starts to hit that slowdown cool all right then well from a big rpg to stabbing demons in the face (laughs) adam you've been uh in the first dlc chapter for doom eternal yes yeah there's a funny story behind that um I love Doom Eternal. In fact, I like the 2016 version of Doom 2. A big, big, big fan. Like Probably in my top five uh, like favorite games of the last five years or so. 
and um, I was so eager for the DLC to come out, and somehow uh, through the uh, who knows the fog of what 2020 was, I completely missed that the DLC came out so much so that when DLC Part Two came out, I went. What what's this part two? Part one's out, <laughs> so I so I went out and um, I bought it, and uh, yeah, I've been playing through that. It's um, whew, I'll I'll tell you now, this game does not give two shits if you haven't played Doom Eternal recently. It's like oh no no no, we just assume you finished that an hour ago, and we're going to throw you right into this now. It is really hard. Um, if you all recall the Marauders from Doom Eternal, no one liked them. So they decided to put more in there. <laughs> and uh, they did make them a little bit easier. I'm, I'm surprised other people didn't really pick this up. I found the stun. Uh, so if you, um, if you time a shot well, you stun them. The stun is longer and you get enough time for a second shot. It seems to happen more regularly. Whereas in the first Doom Eternal, that, that was like... 20% of the time you would get that stun, right? Is it uh, possible that's just been a general patch fix since then so it's consistent across the board? You you might be right. Like, honestly, you might be right, but uh, they definitely didn't patch that by the time I finished the first Doom Eternal because, oh, God, those, those freaking marauders, man. So um, going through it, it was... Um, they, they've added some new enemy types in there and one of them I really didn't like. Uh, basically, you can... It's like this spirit, and this spirit will uh, kind of you know, host uh, one of the other enemies that's on the screen and make him super-powered. I forget what they're called, sorry. But um, in order to take him out, if you let them like take over the other enemy, then it's a real pain in the ass because like, they've got more health, they're quicker, they do more damage. Um, and when they're in their spirit form, you've got to use a particular weapon like the plasma gun hold down, right-click, and then, like, shoot them and hold it there for, like, 10 seconds. I really hate that. Uh, it slows down everything. It's a pain in the ass to do when things are attacking you. It's just not fun. Mm. And I've never been a fan when games did that, where it's like, oh, you know, the one time you use this bullet or gun or attack, it's only when this guy shows up and only when this happens. Oh, and when you do it, you're, you're susceptible to getting, like, your head chopped off during that time. That wasn't fun at all. If you remove that part of it, um, the game does exactly what Doom Eternal did. Um, they haven't really changed a whole lot. There seems to be more big boss battles, and I kind of feel the only reason that um, it took me as long to get through as it did, and it wasn't that long, um, was because it was difficult. Mm. So I really like a challenge in video games. This one really posed some tough challenges, uh, like two cyber demons showing up on this bridge at one point. I, I really had to think about um, how to use the environment. Like, where do I fight this? Do I draw them back and I try to take them out? Oh, that's taking too long. Um, oh, okay, I'll stay here because I can move around a little bit more and hide behind corners. Turns out that was the better way to do it. But I like that. Uh, I don't know if the developers had that in mind. I assume they did, um, where I can... I really need to think about how do I attack this situation better so that I can survive. It kind of felt like it was wearing out its welcome towards the end. And uh, the story is... I don't know if you guys noticed this, but when you were playing Doom Eternal, like the latest Dooms and all that, and the story really went deep on, like, you know, demons and lore and backstory and all that sort of stuff, mm. wasn't always... Yeah. Uh, wasn't always doing... Mm. Uh, no? Okay. In Doom Eternal... Well, it did it really without explaining... Doom- 2016. It did without I mean, explaining. 2016, it. and the best description I've heard of that story is that game has the perfect level of reverence for its own yeah. bullshit. 
Yes, but that, that's okay though. It's okay no, if it does that. Turtle as long as it sticks to it. No, it's fine that it does that, but I'm not going to say in my experience that it really went deep. Okay, it, well, Doom Eternal did. It. It certainly did. Uh, right. So it went like it went real biblical, like real biblical. So um, if you get through that, you'll be like, "What? What the hell is going on? What did I walk into?" There's still more of that, and I kind of feel like it's a bit of a mystery box thing. You know, the mystery box meme uh, where. It's not really going to sit there and explain it to you. It's just like, oh, look, trust us. We figured this out. Like, this means that, and that demon means that, and that's the boss of that demon. And you can kind of pick that up as you go along. And part one didn't... Uh, I feel like it followed exactly what um, Doom Eternal followed in terms of that. So where it left you, and I'm not going to give spoilers, even though part one's been out for a while, but where um, it left you was kind of like a little bit like, oh, that's that's kind of cool. Like, that's obviously going to be in part two now, and that's what part two is all about. But I still can't really tell you in any great detail about what the hell is actually going on. And I feel like that's a little bit of a missed opportunity there because I'm a big fan of um, single-player narratives. It doesn't matter how deep or big or whatever the narrative is. Just tell me the reason I'm going from point A to point B to kill that guy. And if you can tell me and give me a really good reason why I'm doing it, there's my motivation. Great. I can't wait to get there and kill that guy. If you can't tell me that, I'm always in that like that gray area of like, well, why why are we doing this? What? Yeah, demon's bad. I get that, but why are we doing this? And I just feel like it didn't do a wonderful job of telling that. That being said, if you if you like Doom Eternal and you liked uh, the gunplay, which to be honest, that's about ninety five percent of the reason that you're going to play this game. Oh, it's great! It's great! It's fantastic! Excellent, excellent. Well, I've got to get back to it once my wrist is better because I had to stop playing because yeah. it was destroying my wrist and I couldn't play with a controller. Uh, there's no way in hell. Uh, literally destroying it now. You're losing yeah, the muscle. Yeah, now, now they're taking a whole muscle so out. bad they're going to rip a muscle out. <laughs> That's very Doom-esque, isn't it? Just solve it by ripping shit out. It is. <laughs> All right. We'll tell everyone you just like stuff right now. <laughs> just like just it I'll make just it yank it out. Yeah. Uh, so I've been playing Judgment, uh, the... Uh, not Yakuza game from the Steam studio that makes Yakuza. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been recently released on, actually today, when we're recording this, on the Series X and PlayStation 5. So it's got a, a fancy up version of it out there. Uh, get this out of the way. If you've got it on a PS4, don't worry about getting the PS5 or Xbox version. The improvements are there, but they're not worth the upgrade, like buying it again. just Is it a native file then it's not like just a special level of patch <clears throat> no so it's speak. you've got to buy the buy the whole thing you can't there's no upgrade path i'm sure it could be a patch yeah, team no, but it's not. not you've got to buy the whole thing yeah so i uh, expect yeah. honestly expect it to come on game pass sooner rather than later because of the deals that microsoft have been striking with um with sega at the moment all the yakuza games are there now so i can't imagine it'll be too long before it's there as well uh, that being said, if you haven't played Judgment, it is fantastic. It's really, really good. Um, I was sitting there thinking, where would I place it on the Yakuza level of coolness? And it's probably sitting... It is the third yeah, best Yakuza yeah, game. Third best Yakuza game. Uh, just below six and zero. Uh, they're kind of level, level pegging for me. Uh, and then and then Yakuza... Uh, sorry, Judgment. Um, it does a lot of things very similar to Yakuza if you played... Yakuza zero or seven, you uh, six. Sorry, you'll feel right at home. It's at, it's in a familiar setting. Uh, there's you know a lot of the traits from the series, random battles as you wander around the street with with 
thugs of various shape and size. Um, there's a lot of familiar sights and sounds, but there are, there are enough differences that it stands on its own quite well. Um, it is based around being a detective. So there's a lot of detective type things to do. There's little mini games to stalk people as the, as you follow them home and find out where they're going. And then there's a little mini game to, to, um, unlock things with a, with, be it a, with a padlock or with a, with a, just a tumbler lock and, and all these little, little detective bits where you've got to search around and find evidence and look at clues and then use that evidence later in arguments. Um, and while you don't fail uh, any of the missions, if you get your arguments wrong, you do lose bonuses and things like that. But but the challenge is, you know, using the evidence you've discovered at the appropriate time to present your case to someone. Uh, and and it, it's quite a cool little system, you know, this Sherlock Holmes-esque side to this sort of crazy open semi-open world game style that, that, that they've kind of pioneered at Sega with, with these games. Uh, Can I just say, I love that you keep keep describing this as the third best you choose game. I yeah. just, I just love that that's the title you'll give it. I'm like, you should run with that because it just works for me. I laugh every it, time. It I, is I, though, I like it. I mean, it really is. Uh, but I think now that, um, well, personally, I think now that they've gone to turn based kind of JRPG style for Yakuza Seven, they'll keep judgment as this style of gameplay with the free action gameplay and move Yakuza in that JRPG direction. And that's why they'll, they'll actually separate a lot more, I think from here, from here on out. Um, it's kind of weird to think about You think the off spin where you're playing as a lawyer yeah. or a disgrace lawyer would be the one where you would experiment with a combat system. You would think so, but and maybe have less direct punching people in the face than one where you're literally a gangster would be the wrong litigator <laughs> there's actually there's a really oh that would be a, no like oh my god there gosh. is a cool yeah, ace the, attorney the... um easter egg in it an ace attorney style <laughs> turn-based combat would be amazing i would I be all it. in on that um the lead character yagami is probably not as immediately likable as Kiru or or, or um, Goro Majima or all those famous people from the Yakuza series, um, uh, or even Ishi from from Number Seven, but he's he grows on you, and the whole game is a bit of a slow burn to begin with. It takes quite a long time to get into the guts of the story, probably a good three chapters. And so, if you've played this dollar game before, three to four chapters usually is about the ten hour mark. Um, you know, the chapters tend to speed up as you go on. Well, they do for me because I get sick of all the doing all the side stuff and they just become quicker naturally. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but the story is, is really pulpy crime soap opera drama that's well worth getting in, you know, switching your brain off and diving into and enjoying. Um, there's, you know, murders from three years ago coming back to haunt people and, and current serial killers and Yakuza infighting and all this other stuff. It's it's all gloriously silly, but a lot of fun. Um, I think I think really the only problem I had with the game uh, is just the same general problems you have with all the other Yakuza games in that that like sometimes combat can be a bit clunky. Um, sometimes you know you get caught on the environment more than you'd like, and camera seems a bit wavy at times, but. Really, there's there's not much to dislike about this game, and it's really good in the fact that if you wanted to try a Yakuza style game, you can try this one because you don't need the 
the backstory of Yakuza to play it. There's no throwbacks to the Yakuza games. It's a fresh story. It's a fresh take. So you can dive in there without six games worth of lore behind you to, to kind of understand everything. Um, there's a few little references here and there for diehards of the series, but, but really there's nothing that, that makes any serious callbacks to, to the actual Yakuza games. So it's a, it's a fresh start for people that want to try it out and perhaps don't want to go the whole hog. Um, but it's like 90% of the Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it is very good. It's a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed it. Like I said, don't bother if you've already got it on PS4 because there's not that much improvement. I mean, it runs at 60 frames now. It's a bit more detail in, especially in the character faces. So when you look at the main characters, they are very well detailed. Uh, not quite to the level of, uh, Yakuza 7, but, you know, not far from it. And, um, Loading times are obviously a shitload better, which is always great in these games because they do tend to have a few loading screens. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's the best version of a really good game. And if you haven't played it before, I strongly recommend you go and check it out. It won't be for everyone though. As soon as you can get as one of those. As soon as you consoles, can get one of those consoles. Still. If you've got one. Which is still. <laughs> yes. Five months later, are still almost impossible. And look, by the time you get get an Xbox, for example, it might already be on Game Pass. So there you go. You'll get to play it. Um, We might leave it there for a musical break that Tim will find for us. Something COVID safe, of course. And... uh, As opposed to COVID dangerous. (laughs) And then we'll be back to talk about the effect that uh, COVID-19 has had on the games industry. There is no escaping the impact that COVID-19 has had on the world. Currently, the number of deaths sits at over the 3 million mark, with over 147 million reported cases. It has crippled countries, ruined lives, and torn industries asunder. Gaming was no different, with changes galore occurring to the industry we love. I'm going to start with you, Tim. In your mind, what was the biggest thing that COVID did or didn't do for gaming? Oh, man. It guaranteed that Nintendo would never have to bother releasing Metroid or anything they want to play because they're just going to roll around in Animal Crossing money for the next five years. <laughs> Animal Crossing. <laughs> Animal Crossing was the big winner from COVID. I was actually really keen to get into it as well, and the thing is, I just bounced right off. Oh <laughs> uh, yes, Everyone, it was like this, the perfect moment to release that game, wasn't it? Yeah. They really could not have asked... Like, I mean, it's evil, but they really could not have asked for a better situation for a get-out-there-and-hang-with-your-friends-on-a-virtual-getaway. Maybe maybe they, they sacrificed uh, F-Zero to um, 
to some satanic cult to ensure Animal Crossing success. I would like a new F Zero. <laughs> so would a lot of people. Me too. Me too. I don't think it needs to be a huge one either. They could probably do it as like a download. Actually, no, it's Nintendo. Nintendo. They would make a thirty dollars download game and then charge full price for it. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> so. And some of us would probably still buy it anyway, which is why this yeah, happens. Yeah, it is. It really is. I would. No, it's... it's <laughs> I mean, I don't know, man. Like, I'm coming from this perspective where Japan has basically treated COVID the way that Scott Morrison wanted to treat COVID. Yeah, and just, like, pretend it's not there. So, do you know the best way to live with a virus... To deal with a virus is to live with a virus? And the government's just been cruising, slowly losing control, because... As you would, I guess, expect from the culture, Japan has very good national compliance. But it turns out after a year of this shit... People aren't so compliant? People are, like, starting to, like, just friggin' whatever. I heard a story, my friend, say in Tokyo, there's a pound where they're not supposed to be serving alcohol in a lot of places anymore. There was an izakaya bar that says, We are not serving alcohol. You cannot drink this alcohol. If you drink this alcohol, you must pay a $6 fine. <laughs> So they've just re- which is the most Japanese thing ever, is how gambling works here as well, where it's like, oh, we cannot give you money, we can just give you prizes. Yeah. But there's would just randomly a very nearby store that is very happy to buy all these prizes off you for weird amounts of money. <laughs> <laughs> it, so, it, I know, it's been super strange, because I've been living as if a lot more is- I haven't been to a restaurant in over a year. I haven't been to a friend's house in that long either. Either what this has made me done is like really appreciate Jackbox. Yeah. And I can say that because Ken's not here, but man, like those games, if you just like get that shit up over a chat, be it Skype or Discord or whatever, that is like the perfect just kickback late at night beer. Because I mean, the, the games just facilitate the social interaction and yeah. it works very well as a sort of thing where you don't actually need other people in the room. Yeah. Kind of that pseudo, pseudo board game experience, I guess, that... Uh, you know of a silly board game not something that that Stephen would yeah. play I mean Jackbox is mostly like you just make up a dumb thing and whoever invents the dumbest yeah. thing wins and the, the great uh, the genius of it with a lot of my favourite games like this where you know I'm graduated from Monopoly but I'm nowhere near down the Ken Rabbit hole <laughs> is like they don't focus on winning it's like just trying to make each other laugh yeah. and I think that was partially well, that's the main reason things like Cards Against Humanity and that succeeded so well. Yeah, Cards Against Humanity, the game wasn't the game. The game was trying to play the whoever's turn it was. You were trying to, like, gain yeah, their, their sense, sense of, of you know, who Is this the person I push the Holocaust joke on, or do I need yeah, to, like, yeah, reel yeah. it back a little do bit? Do I make my like... dad say jizz uh, in front of everyone, or do I... <laughs> I would not play that with my parents. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then, Adam, what did you see? I know, I know you've got... In your particular interests with eSport and things, it, 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 mm. it did some serious damage there for a while, didn't it? It really did. And uh, I, I do have two, um, I have two different angles on the whole COVID thing. But uh, let's start with eSports just because it's been absolutely fascinating to watch just how quickly they moved and adapted. So when COVID hit, uh, you can think of like a bunch, but uh, two big ones. And they're both... Uh, like, so... I know a guy who's a caster for the CDL, right? Mm-hmm. So he, uh, he, he's he been working full-time with them uh, since uh, probably about two years ago now. And uh, what they used to do is, like, obviously live events, you would see that they would get some big A-listers showing up. Uh, Michael B. Jordan was at one of them. 
and he got to like uh, team up with Michael B. Jordan and do a 2v2 against someone else. So, you know, big spectacle, lots of hype, and the crowds freaking loved it. It was so good. They would fly the teams around everywhere and they would verse each other, land events, everything offline. COVID hits, boom, you can't do anything. They shut down for about two months, I think. And I mean completely shut down. So they still had to pay all their casters and stuff, but they were just sitting there going like, oh, what, the, what the hell do we do, right? Um, they moved really quickly. They sent out basically gear to all these people, like the casters, the teams and all that. And they made sure that uh, the players were at least in regions where they could verse each other on a ping that's not shit. Yeah. And um, how they did it eventually was uh, they would just almost like have like a bit like what we're doing right now, like kind of like this, this profile picture screenshot. Um, but where it changes, like the logistics for making teams verse each other was astronomical. That would have been what they were doing for two months. Like, how the fuck do we make this work? I still can't tell you what they would have had to have gone through. Um, but even from the caster's perspective, um, having done a lit, and I mean a little bit of shoutcasting, the reason it makes it so easy is that if uh, you and I, Matt, were shoutcasting an event... Uh, we would ha- have like just a couple of um, like hand gestures and be like, if I'm pointing at the screen, it's like, oh no, I've got to say something, but I'm not going to talk over you. So you'll see me pointing and you'll go, oh, cool, Adam wants to say something. I'm going to finish up this. And then you kind of like flick me like with your hand. I'm like, great. And if you're saying something yeah. that I really like, I'll be pointing at you like, yeah, keep, keep, keep going with that. And it just works. How do you do that when you're not in the room with each other and you don't have a face cam with each other? So that's all being broadcasted out. And then on top of that, you have to deal with the delay that those people are dealing with with the action. It's, like I said, from even from a technical perspective, let alone the human logistics, that was a nightmare. And yet they adapted so quickly and you can see the evolution that they did when they first, uh, they did uh, the rest of their season. I think it was... I forget which season it was, but um, they finished that season, had a break, they started the next season, and just how it's evolved. So now they've got like these like these desks, and they've got a full green screen that they've uh, sent out to all their customers. It's like we're all standing there next to each other, but we're yeah, not. Yeah. And they've just superimposed it over things. Uh, I was so amazed to see them do that. And I kind of think uh, for even a more personal perspective um, from esports that I love, say Street Fighter or FGC, there has not been a bigger light shined on the FGC and about how utterly, utterly shit the netcode has been (laughs) for decades now. And we we can laugh about it, but holy shit, think about every game that you enjoy now. It's got a good netcode. Except Street Fighter. for the longest time... So what... There's only two fighting games that I can think of. There's probably more, but two fighting games that actually have good rollback netcode. And that is Killer Instinct and Mortal Kombat. And Mortal Kombat, when it initially came out, they tried delay base and they tried rollback and it was just abysmal. And they said, oh, we're not going to fix it. There was lots of yelling. They went, okay, we are going back to fix it. MKX now has rollback netcode. It was phenomenal. And then they took that netcode and put it in MK11 and that's why you can play it online and it's not a problem. Killer Instinct, same sort of deal. Like they, um, I think I think it was Iron Galaxy Studios. They've got a history of doing this stuff. But uh, their netcode that they've been using for games that they've ported and made before fantastic best net code probably out in the latest um, generation of fighting games you'll notice that there's a bit of a theme between those two companies it's because i don't know what it was and it seems very xenophobic um that the reason that a lot of developers uh especially from japan they didn't like uh that their net code was developed somewhere else so it was uh, a quote-unquote not developed here 
and says that, no, no, we'll do it ourselves, even though we don't really know what we're doing. They don't have the history or the skills or the understanding of how netcodes are meant to work. So Street Fighter V comes out. Uh, it's abysmal. Then they tried to fix it, and they somehow made it worse. I, I don't know how they did that, but they made it worse. And now they are being forced to do every single one of their flagship uh, Capcom Pro Tour fights on this shit netcode. So what we're seeing from the community is such a huge like spotlight, backlash, call it whatever you will, like fix your netcode. This is all we're doing. And now all the, and uh, suddenly, suddenly these new fighting games that are coming out, they magically got delayed. And then they're actually communicating with their crowd saying, hey, we're going to, we're working on good rollback netcode. That's what we're trying to do. So here. a silver lining uh, of COVID is they've made uh, yes, Capcom. Yeah. What, what an outcome. Three million people had to die, but our fighting yeah. game's going to work now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's one way to look yeah. at it, right? It's... Um, and the first game that we're going to see this um, come out with is, uh, I think everyone's seen a trailer for it, Guilty Gear Strive. Yeah. So apparently their netcode is going to like be pretty good, at least in the beta it looks all right, but you can't really yeah. tell from the beta because it's such a small subset. So, you know, some obviously uh, it's, it's affected the esports industry in a bad way. Everyone misses live events. I miss live events. You'll never match a crowd cheering, even when you're watching it live. Uh, seeing two p- teams or two players face I, off against each other, man, I miss that I, stuff. I, the crowd thing, I don't know, man. The NBA has been pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, some some Isn't sports have adopted like, well. I went and saw the basketball though the other night, and there is something to be said for being in the stadium. You know, there is, but I mean, on one hand, the NBA had that brief bit. Maybe they're still doing it. I don't know where, like. They were kind of selling seats where you could kind of zoom, yeah, you put your zoom or Skype or whatever your face in, and it actually looked like a fucking it's, video it's, game. It's it was, really funny because uh, that's the funny. people that pioneered that was actually the WWE. They were they were doing yes. this. Oh, that's probably why it looks yeah, like a yeah, video you know, game. With the, with the, the, the <laughs> but also, crowd. I guess we're getting away from video games here, but the way like a crowd affects performance, yeah. like the home team advantage situation is becoming like NBA at the moment. The two top teams don't have a star player no no well I can't remember the last time it could time. be argued but yeah okay there's no serious MVP candidate no, no, there no, Kevin Durant Steph Curry LeBron James whoever is not on it on Utah Jazz or Phoenix yeah. Suns that is correct alright then yep. Stephen what have you found in COVID has affected your gaming existence I mean one of the big things is living in Australia and outside of Melbourne most of my existence wasn't overly affected realistically like uh, I had work shutdowns and things like that but I was still working from home whereas it I guess I'm fairly lucky to have that but I think it was just it felt a little bit like business as usual which I'm sure a lot of people around the world who've done it extremely (laughs) tough probably don't want to hear but the fact of the matter was that I didn't find myself overly affected by COVID perhaps um, a retreat to some more sort of comfort food gaming as opposed to interest in new titles which obviously dried up anyway as studios around the world were impacted by their ability to get things out on time so I think it was right around that period where sort of the Last of Us Part Two had just kind of squeaked out, and then there was just a massive drop. And 
a lot of companies weren't sure if they were going to be able to keep pumping things out. So it felt like really thematically appropriate to be playing that game probably the height of all of that happening. So that's probably my standout gaming memory from COVID is blasting through The Last of Us Part 2 and having it be extremely impactful for a number of ways as much as people on, you know, social media would like to poo-poo that story and yeah. say that it's, you know... not but it's social media, so who cares? I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I went through some things with that story, but I think I came around in favour of it. I was... Um, overall. There was nothing they did that I disagreed with at any point. I think it all worked for me. Early on, it felt a little bit too much as like trying a bit too hard to say violence is never the answer, but they managed to explore the theme far enough. I was going to yeah. say, until it is. <laughs> Uh, like, that, oh, like the first few hours could leave you with that impression, but like they did eventually manage to. If you saw that thing through, you saw that thing through. <laughs> I I think the only thing I would say is it was probably a few hours too long. I think they could have yeah, tightened uh, some parts think, of it up. The problem is nobody knows which hours to cut. I agree, it's too long. Yeah. No, and that's I've I've had that discussion with others. Like thinking on it, I'm like it's too long, but I don't know what I would lose out of it. I'd have to go back and replay it again with some, you know, distance from it to if, say, if oh, I was okay, this cut anything from cut. it, it'd be that last uh, final stretch with um, on the coast that, that could probably be trimmed significantly. I thought that that whole bit felt like a bit unnecessary, to be honest. Bit, yeah, bit return of the king. Yeah, like. yeah, like we had our ending. <laughs> but you already knew you were at the end there. It felt long before that yeah, as well. Yeah. Like it's a few hours too long. Yeah. Uh, but outside of that, um, board games. So I'd been playing a lot of board games and the way that that industry relies on logistics so heavily meant that and with you know Kickstarter as well being a massive way that games are distributed and produced now, um, it threw a lot of things out of whack for that entire industry and it's still not quite caught up. So that was um, probably another thing that meant I was perhaps getting more things out of the cupboard rather than buying things than I otherwise would have. Can I segue on that? Because uh, this this is a perfect, perfect segue. Perfect. Uh, when, not that we had, pointed it out so no, much, it's not. When we had, no perfect segues <laughs> yeah. on this podcast, Adam. You should know that. Okay. Uh, well, so anyway, I was uh, in the forest the other day. <laughs> anyway, my uh, when we had lockdown coming, uh, we didn't have big lockdowns, obviously, where yeah. we live. We, we just didn't, and we're very lucky. But uh, lockdowns are lockdowns, and they fucking suck, and we didn't know how long we are going to be locked down for. Uh, in the week leading up to it, uh, my friend went and bought myself and then three other friends tabletop simulator uh, yeah. and he says every Thursday he says like let's just put that line in the sand at 8 o'clock uh, till 10 o'clock let's, let's all get together and we'll just play a board game one of the different board games that it can offer I have played so many new board games that I never knew how to play or anything like that because of that and you know I will say this before COVID we were so shit at organising times to do this it's so hard yeah. to organise your friends to have gaming sessions and somehow COVID really forced us to get together and go, yeah, let's do that because we're not going to ever be able to do it in person and who knows when we're going to be able to actually go over to each other's houses and stuff like that. 
And uh, what is this? It's about a year later, and we're still yeah. doing it. I don't go every week. None of us go every week, but uh, it's pretty common. Uh, I love that. I love that something... I don't know. It's just... I like the motivation behind it, and I love that we did it. I, th- I think that's so one like of the... Helped people with their time yeah. management. I, well, I think one of the big, yeah. I guess, silver linings out of COVID, and it's one of the reasons I actually thought of this topic, <clears throat> is I think it's painted video games in a different light for a lot of people. Um, we know. We're, we're gamers. We uh, And all the hmm. shit that that term entails, that's us. Uh, we're a part of that group. We know what gaming does. But for so many people that, you know, had, were not gamers themselves, they didn't play regularly, uh, they didn't didn't really know what was going on, they found themselves gaming in this period through lack of, I guess, options. But, you know, the fact that they could sit down and play, be it Jackbox, be it a Minecraft. My kids, you know, used Roblox as like this, oh, this massive social connection with all their friends when we had that, you know, initial kind of month lockdown where the kids weren't going to school um you know i think it's it's in a lot of ways changed the perceptions of what games can do and some of those anti-social stereotypes that gaming the gamers have had to deal with for a very long time now which is we all know is horseshit um but it still hangs around in the media's depiction of gamers as these anti-social nerds living in their mum's basement I think a lot of people kind of went, hang on a minute, these guys are onto something that could be a bit of fun, especially in this time where social interaction is at a premium. Um, why not engage in something? Which I have. Sorry? Yeah, noticed that. I mean, I've just finished my Japanese course, but it meant like for two years of my life, I've as busy as I've ever been. And like, we're literally having just 20 minutes for lunch in the same building, so I did not play very many games until recently again. So I had actually been watching a lot of like Stephen Colbert monologues as my like lunchtime entertainment. Yeah. Or shit like that. And boy, like just random video game name drops. Yeah. I could swear increased a lot. All of a sudden they're mentioning, no, you were not getting away my PS5. I am playing the New Horizon. And I'm going, man, that would not have happened no, years ago. No, it wouldn't, wouldn't have. And I think COVID's been a big catalyst for that. That, that maybe, just just maybe that it, it, as, it, well, it it's something a bit more, I guess... Ex- it's it's hard to say because gaming is so huge and like it's this. But it has, I mean, it's, it's it has gone bananas. It, it has like gone. it turns out, like Sony and Microsoft are both they're producing what would have been enough consoles last generation, yep. and they can't keep up. And yet, like if I go to look for one online now, they're going to be it should be fifty five thousand yen with tax. It's going to and the, and the population increase between the launch of, it does, does not, not make for that that number. That that number is because more not even more close, people. Yeah. Are playing games. Oh, I walked. I walked and got a PS4 very, very easily. Yeah, there was no stock issues at launch. I don't think at all. I think even in Australia, yeah. you could just wander in and get both consoles. I think it basically sold out. Yeah. But like, if you wanted one, you could like put your name down. A week later, you yeah. would have it. Like, there was none of these issues. But now you can't get one anywhere for both systems. Um, it, it, it is a little crazy that that increased demand. Um, so I think, I think it's it's going to have an effect on the industry for a long time to come and and people's perception of you know especially that generation you know the generation above ours that kind of you know our parents that might have looked down on gaming because we spent too much time playing it as kids or whatever um 
I think they look at it a different way. Even my my parents have you know played a little bit of stuff with us over to just to be social, you know. And it's the second coming of the Wii, play, except some of the stuff is better. Playing now. golf with dad. I mean, Wii Sports was great, but everything yeah, else was. Yeah. Ugh. Like golf games with dad's mm-hmm. always fun. He thinks, you know, the harder he hits the mouse, the further the ball's going to go. So he's destroyed a few mouses playing. It's that old typewriter yeah, yeah. memory going back. <laughs> so stuff like that. But uh, I think, yeah, it, it's it, it's going to be interesting to look back in five years and see if, is this the <coughs> point where even government, like even the government, our shitty, notoriously terrible fucking government, as far as video game funding is concerned, is finding it very hard to ignore at the moment. Um, because there's a lot of noise being said to saying, "Hey, you're supporting all these other arts industries. Video games makes." Are they? Are they though? They're not. No. Well, <laughs> I was going to say that they go arts. That doesn't return money. Movies. Like, it I does if say, you fund it. <laughs> movies. I should say that, that a lot of movies are getting funded. Uh, but games make. That's true. A that's lot, true. Lot, lot more money than uh, three times as than, much by last yeah, count. So yeah, even that's starting to get too hard to ignore. The other, the other mm. one I wanted to talk about was uh, just at the start of the first lockdown when everything was kind of up in the air and no one really had any idea of what was going on. I made some comment on Twitter that I needed a long game to play to keep me busy with the presumably long nights, uh, boring nights ahead. And, and Doug at uh, uh, Power Up, being the legend he was, sent me a code for Elder Scrolls Online. <laughs> 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 so he legend. just saw an opening. He just <laughs> I got you. And you know what? That's a fucking good game. <laughs> yeah, I, I really it. love it. Doesn't a dealer always give you the first yeah, taste yeah. free? <laughs> so yeah, and now I play. It's it's not. It, and the way that it's designed is is really it's it's an MMO in name only. It's more like an adventure experience with that happens to share the world with other players more than anything, you know, because there's a lot of single player questing stuff in it. And it's just like a big old hearty bowl of square questing fun, you know, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and it's great because they add so much new content to it every couple of months that you can jump in, play a whole bunch of quests and, and just cruise around and do your thing. You don't have to engage in anything you don't want to, which is really nice. Um, if you want to be one of those crazy people that, gets the big mansion with all the furniture and stuff you can do that or if you want to yes. go off and raid with 80 people you can do that or if you just want to wander around and kill some demons and maybe join in with others when a big dragon turns up you can do that too and it's 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 yeah it, it's a really it was a really it was my first real dive into an mmo and i can see why this one clicked with me where others haven't um but mm-hmm. yeah it was it was a bit of a uh, smart move by Doug and he's managed to get a whole bunch of ESO coverage out of me ever since. So <laughs> I love I love that it's actually became a success because uh, I remember ESO had yeah, a, it was a, a rocky shit game start. Yeah. Oh my lord! I I played it very very early and it was not a good experience. No. But now, no, it's fantastic. It really is. Yeah. I'd say general advice for an MMO is never jump in at launch. One thing that I did find interesting, especially going back to the board gaming space, talking about, you know, sort of basement dwellers and whatnot, mm. one of the things that's often or had been often maligned in that space was solo board gaming. The idea that why are you playing a board game by yourself? You loser. They're multiplayer experiences. Look on the box. It says... 
minimum two, if not minimum three, if not minimum four players. And what ended up happening was swathes of people were looking at shelves of hundreds of games, none of which could be played because they couldn't get together with anybody else. So we had them come crawling to the solo board gaming community. <laughs> and what's ended up happening is that I think it's it's sort of coincided with this real rise in the quality of solo board games, board games over the past decade. So COVID helped all of that converge and we suddenly had all of these people who were long-time board gamers discovering that there are games out there worthwhile playing on your own. Or some people took that further and like, wait a minute, we could just set this board up at everybody's house and play on Zoom. Yeah. Yes, I did that, but not during COVID. <laughs> yeah, my, my youngest did that with, with, uh, with it was just Monopoly, but he's, everyone has Monopoly, right? So him and, he, him and mm-hmm. his mates did that over Zoom, you know, had a... It was more excuse to talk shit with each other for a long time, but yeah. <laughs> you should you should give him Jackbox anyway. <laughs> so what about conventions? We had every convention under the sun canned. PAX has been announced and tickets sold. Um, now they've obviously offered the promise that should a COVID issue break out that all tickets will be refunded, which I think they had to do. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are we ever going to see the return of things? Like, was it the the nail in, in the coffin of E3? Was it... I'm actually yeah. kind of yeah. curious. Is this going to be what E3 actually needs? Is this going to turn E3 into just, like, this kind of online hub where all these trailer and gameplay videos just dump? Well, now... And it just becomes this no-frills, bullshit-free... But of, it's kind uh, of just brand as opposed to any event. But E3, yeah. if it I mean, does that, it's got competition, you know. It's got IGN, <clears throat> it's got uh, Jeff Keighley it, that are successful in that space already. So if E3 yeah. competes, it's got to be in a big way. But, I mean, E3 was in bad shape before yeah. this happened. I guess that's E3 why E3 is... Uh, if it was already in there. In terms of numbers, like, yeah, absolutely. Like, they've already seen the downward trend. And uh, that's been happening for a number of years now, but uh, they've been very, I'm doing the quotes now, well aware of this. So what they've been trying to do for at least the last few years is turn E3 into basically a gaming convention for the Mm. public and make it something like that. So in terms of like who goes there, what do they show, less about the like, hey, uh, people selling games, this is your time to shine, and more about like let's make this a spectacle for people to show up to. Now, it's not going to be something like PAX, that PAX isn't also a supernova, and supernova isn't a yeah, Comic-Con. Yeah. You know, that they all have very different... And the only reason I know a lot about this is because I've volunteered uh, for run a convention here in Canberra. And you can see the differences between, like, what is your goal in terms of culture and what you want to give to the people coming and make your convention around that. So E3 is... I, what I always loved about E3 is that it put a line in the sand, literally, literally a date, and said, hey, guys, if you want to get the, the coverage, everyone's looking. If you want the coverage, you come out in this state and you show your trailer and you wow the audience. Yeah, I think- and, and we all paid attention. Like, And like, look what happened in the last, I think it was last year, right, where E3 did the online event or they just no, didn't, they didn't do, do it. it at all and everyone and, else had to do no, their own. And it was, a, it was an absolute clusterfuck. Like there was, there was barely 
there was such a scattershot. Yeah. And as much as we can look at, say, Nintendo and go, oh, Nintendo did such a good show. It's like, yeah, well, Nintendo have been doing this for a while, but not everyone's Nintendo. Most people don't give a shit about publishers. They give a shit about games. Whereas Nintendo, everyone loves Nintendo. You know, that IP, Nintendo, I will go see that. Uh, news outlets will report on that. It was such a clusterfuck last year. There was barely any coverage. Uh, or there, there was coverage, but it was so scattershot and all over the place that I kind of feel like I missed things. Yeah. And I actually had to really hardly... I had to go looking hard. Now, if E3 does what you guys are suggesting, and they say, okay, it's it's E3, but you know we converge all these online events into one, that would still work because it's still that line in the sand. And the E3, which is synonymous for so many people, like, oh, I go to E3 because I'm going to see the latest trailers. That's that's when Street Fighter Six is going to get us announced. That's when Killer Instinct 2 or the, the new DLC for Doom Eternal, that, that's where it's going to get announced because they, they try months years whatever outside of that yeah. date to go that's when that's when we launch uh, it e3 is going to become like a, even if e3 as a organization dies it is going to become a calendar yeah mark. it's it's just yes. that date that yeah. people go all right microsoft are going to announce some shit ea is it's going like to announce this some week shit. is when gaming news happens and mass yeah. could not agree more could not I think agree that, more well this year it's been announced that it is still all digital um e3 uh, so there won't be an actual in show despite um, the US they probably they could have done a small press one could have um, their vaccination is going much better than ours <laughs> well, I don't think they could have done public no. I, I do believe they're probably hitting the wall where they're going to be starting yeah. to get to the anti-vaxxers yeah. and that's gonna I, I think it would just be an insurance issue more than anything like what insurer is yeah. going to cover yeah. that None. Well, they <laughs> that's true. You get you get you get a fancy mutation that breaks you every <laughs> all the vaccines there. Oh my yeah, gosh! Yeah. So, I mean, that's why I'm really so skeptical of packs this year. Like, as like you know, I've got my you know Fox Mulder poster up on the wall. I want to believe, <laughs> but at the same time, I just I really don't see it happening. Yeah. At least not in the same way that it has before. And that that I've got to admit that that devastates me in a way uh just because pax to me was always my chance to see everyone as, as an editor yeah, of, of a home. website with writers literally in every major state in australia plus one bloke in japan uh <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> and a guy in new zealand you know so the chance to catch up with a lot of people is so rare and it and it is such a wonderful event. And I honestly, if it was just, you know, we go to the pub on this date uh, and catch up with all these yeah, people, I mean, that is just a, just just such a fantastic thing to do. I don't know if it's like an older older. Thing. I mean, I kind of lose work out of this. It's like oh, Bit Summit in Tokyo Game Show. I am not yeah. going there. But like last time I went to Bit Summit, I well, I interviewed Igarashi and um one of the guys who used to work on Final Fantasy. But I think the highlight was actually like I kind of just went up. We like Cam and I just went to like this small brewery. Mm. Um, Cam of IGN, formerly editor of yep. Hyper, which is how we kind of knew each other. And I think just like talking shit about video games over some good beers after yeah. the show was done was easily the thing that I wish I could be able to do again. And, yeah, it, it's honestly, there are some genuinely good people in this industry that I don't get to see enough of. And, you know, through the fact that Australia is a massive country and, and you know, we all live everywhere all around it. And that PAX was... And there's a friggin' ocean... Yeah, between Japan yep. and, you know, and PAX was kind of that point where everyone, you know, tried to make an effort to make and, you know, you got more than you didn't turn up. And so that's what I'm going to miss. 
uh, if, if if it doesn't go ahead this year. Um, well, the other thing being, I have to imagine they've capped numbers to some degree. I don't know if tickets have ever sold out this quickly before, mm. and I have to imagine that's part of it. And we all know that the majority of us rely on press passes to be able to justify going down there. And if they're going to cap press passes, what does that uh, mean? I for have a feeling that a lot of press outlets? passes will just they'll just wait and see what the situation is like before they make a decision on that. Might take a little bit longer to get approval this year for press passes, but mm. but I, I, I it, you know things go as they are at the moment. I don't see a problem with press passes, but if things you know if we get another spike somewhere, then that then, then for sure things will be cut. So. This is, a, this is a conversation, as you point out, is very uniquely is. only able to be had in Australia and New Zealand. Really. It really is. I mean, New Zealand had a concert um, mm-hmm. like two days ago with like 40,000 people. It was insane. The, the MCG's got 75,000 people going to the football. You know, uh, it, it is a bit crazy living in New Zealand and Australia um, because we're, we, we've, through luck and through some good management from premiers, not from prime ministers, um, <laughs> we, we've managed to get through it's this. It's weird, though, because, you know? like, even... Honestly, even, like, the um, Liberal premiers still seem to have done a good yeah, job. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, exclusively been... Oh, it's absolutely the federal government's balls that up. And they've just lucked in with really strong premiers, regardless of their politics. They've all handled this really well. Um, yeah, it's 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 an odd place to be, right? Uh, I also have the disappointment of not going to Singapore again. They've sent me another invite to go to... Gamescom yeah. Asia. Oh, we're having it this year. Look, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> you want to pay for my it's hotel like, quarantine? You want to get back? Are you though? I mean, what, do you what have, you know, how many weeks do you have either side of yeah. that? Matt? <laughs> it's in October, so end, towards the end of what October. What if you're yeah, vaccinated? That's not what if you're vaccinated? I don't know. That's not happening. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the last group besides my kids to get a vaccination, you know. I'm. I don't have any serious respiratory conditions. I don't have any. Yeah, okay. I'm not old. Well, I am old, but I'm not really old. So, so yeah. your best shot is when you go to get your surgery in your hand. You're hoping that like a hospital's like gone. We got to throw this in the bin otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. Shot. Yeah, so, I was just gonna chuck this out. You know? Well, you, you, <laughs> see, I'm in no, the- seriously, like Japan was actually th- Japan. I haven't checked the last couple of weeks. A hundred shots a day in a country of 120 something million. And they were actually oh, throwing out leftover terrible. shots in Tokyo. And I'm... Uh, Let's host the Olympics. Oh, God. Yeah, they, See, yeah, um, they were literally just called a state of emergency. They're like, oh, they should not have lifted the last mm, one. Funny, that. Don't worry. I'm, I'm sure the Olympics will go ahead. It'll be fine. <laughs> oh, I, I am actually super looking forward to the whole world's eyes being on here and, like, seeing how much this is all being balls up. <laughs> wow. I'm I'm in the enviable position of uh, COVID being unable to p- penetrate the walls of the school that I work in, or any school for that matter. So, <laughs> I I never never got homework. Uh, Aim and I run a place, so we went to office while everyone else worked from home, and I became a glorified delivery boy for four weeks, where I'd take files around to people. So, <laughs> 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 so yeah, we didn't we didn't get the home. The kids were at home, kind of homeschooling themselves. And I wonder why. Got lucky that they were just old enough. Yeah, yeah, there. we were. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, uh, obviously, another big change is delays, and we'll probably finish on 
on this topic is the delays in video game releases. Now, there's there's been a lot of games delayed. There's been one notable one that fucking should have been delayed. Um, you have to assume... <laughs> <laughs> that had nothing to do with COVID. That was just arrogant. Well, I, I think COVID probably didn't make it any easier for them, to be honest. Um, yeah. But, no, but it, it, that probably should have been. Just, uh, I have ideas about. Yeah. Uh, it was always going to be a perhaps mess. the biggest one, and the one that probably caused the most damage is the delay of Halo Infinite. Uh, you know, Microsoft have built their entire release schedule around this game, but were in the end made the right decision like uh, yeah they really I'm, I'm a Halo fan I want this game to be good and I don't care if it's not like now it, it's so, got to be out later I want to enjoy that game I don't want to be yeah you know underwhelmed by it um, so and I think yeah that, especially with such a flagship you know, title so right? that was a massive one but there's been heaps like Vampire uh we had Dying Light 2. We've got all these other games that just keep getting delayed every time you turn... Where is Metroid Prime Oh, 4? that's not happening. You know that. Um, that's not happening this year. <laughs> it's not happening this year. Oh, it's, I mean, it's happening. Nintendo <laughs> doesn't really cancel things. They just... just they develop in the back. <laughs> it's in the back. They should not have announced it when they did, but... Oh, my God, I would like a new Metroid. So, do we think that... Like Metroidvania's become really big, but I'm kind of at the point where I'm now old enough, and it was long ago enough to be nostalgic about the Metroid Prime version <laughs> of Metroid. Do you think we've, uh, we're have we going to continue to see these delays for some time to come yet? I, I, I don't yes. think this effect is just a, an 18-month effect. I think this is... No. I think it's an eight-and-a-half-a-year effect. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's something the industry has needed for quite a while, to be honest, to counteract the whole day zero patch thing that's been mm-hmm. happening for honestly far too long ever since of, the flood of content that we've actually had. Like it's like that that weird Does anybody... effect for me was I kind of decided before it became apparent it's going to be so hard. It's like you know I'm going to skip the launch. I'm actually not sure which of these consoles I want. I'm too busy anyway. And then by the time I became slightly less busy, it's like, oh, these are still super, super hard to get. Um, I have this huge uh, Steam backlog. I got a cheap, thanks, Fox, new graphics card for my PC. I'm never going to play other stuff I already own, is it? It's kind of nice to like have this chance. To to like, I, I don't need to go and fight to get a PS5. I would like one, but I, I, I'm not, I don't want to go out there and hassle and deal with a lot of... When I still have like literally fifty games between my Steam and Epic accounts and a couple of things on my Switch that I would legitimately like to try. Yeah. I think it all sort of feeds in really like much like Hollywood has done with delaying films that have been sitting on a shelf for upwards of eighteen months now, done, ready to mm. go. How many of these delays are legitimate delays because it's severely disrupted production and how many of them are an attempt to maximize profit because people don't have the consoles in hand little from column A little from column I'm sure B there's some that of that there I think there is a lot of people that have I'm pretty sure if you had a polished ready to go PS5 or Series X game that thing would sell because, friggin yeah, bananas so many people there's been kind of this lack of fresh content for those systems to be honest you'd also get your stake in the ground with your brand being associated with that console for when the sequel comes yeah. around but what are the numbers on those consoles at the moment we're talking about you know 150 plus million between the Xbox and the PS4 what are we at with the PS5 and the Series X oh they're still good numbers but they're not 
obviously that. But they the both con- both the both. But the actual people who have them are probably very thirsty for exclusive yeah. content for mm-hmm. those machines. I think Returnal will be the one that, yeah, maybe shows us how true that will be given that it's being touted as the first true PS5 game that shows off the yeah, hardware yeah. Mm-hmm. and it's it's developed by either that or Ratchet and I Clank I think Ratchet and Clank's probably the first true one I think Ratchet's probably got a lot more going behind Returnal is kind of it's by Housemark who have up until now made it looks pretty cool but made top is it a shooters. $40 game yeah. being charged $125 for is what I'm wondering I kind of think that might be the case with it but I'm very interested to see it but yeah I've just had a drinks service, everyone, so it's good. Yeah. <laughs> is that is that is that catering or is that telling you it's time to oh, wrap no, up? Oh no no no, she's not catering. A little from column A, a little from column B. <laughs> is, is there anyone who sat there and thought, "Oh my god, I really just don't have enough games no, to play"? No, no one said that ever. Nope. I've not said I that mean, for I over a decade. I bought like now. a thousand games thanks to all those weird bundles that came out. Last Humble year. bundles, yeah. Um, no one's uh, like this day and age Sony's been giving stuff away now like you've got Games Pass Game Pass is I had a ridiculous. point where I bought a small bundle for like 400 yen a little under and I was like been trying to be careful with money I was like I actually felt weird about spending even that much money it's like I bought five games I spent the same amount of money getting a little extra cheese and a pizza that not that long ago <laughs> <laughs> it is very odd I think also with the delays uh, Cyberpunk fell on its sword to give everyone an excuse Oof. like they ma- that's the unintended consequence of cyberpunk's complete balls up I'm sure they didn't they didn't want, want that, want to, that happen, to happen but, but the unintended consequence is that every single publisher of a triple A game now has an excuse to delay and that that excuse yeah. will last for a while they can say look what happened specifically to an excuse for the shareholders not yeah the fans. absolutely I think that's gamers there's a small subset that are going to be loud and angry but that small subset is loud and angry full stop most people go <laughs> hey yes it's disappointing that I'm not playing this now but I would rather get the good thing at the end than the mediocre thing now so I think I I think I think that was a case of CD Projekt Red wanting to have their cake and eat it too. They saw the user base of the PS4 yeah. and the Xbox and they couldn't turn that down when everything I've seen about that game tells me that it is it should never have been on the last no, gen never. consoles. They should have nope. pushed it to hey, next gen my and just said theory Look, is we're really sorry, but if you've been looking forward to Cyberpunk for a few years, you're going to have to wait a few years more and it's not coming to previous gen yeah. consoles now. I would have guessed that actually that developers themselves would have been aware quite early on that they should not have been developing for those and had management listened it probably still would it could have come out when it did and actually been yeah the re- significantly more would have been uh, placed where they needed to be instead of trying to spread across this range they, would, they probably wouldn't mean trying to solve problems that they didn't have to try and solve and a lot a lot, a lot of problems in games and it's been immediately apparent using the Xbox Series X are solved with pure horsepower. Like, you play some, some of those... Yeah, horsepower and hard drives. Yeah, you know, that solves a lot of problems. Right there, there's two things, you know. It does, doesn't yeah. it? Um, games that had pop-in and loading issues and, and stuttering graphics before, all of a sudden now are run perfectly smooth just no, through no patching or anything like that. 
just because of more power. But we're getting a little off topic now, so we might close it up. Any final thoughts for COVID and what it means going forward? Quickly, Adam. I'm optimistic. Optimistic? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, we've just been in the dumps for so long, and it's natural to be that way, but I'm always a fairly optimistic person. I, I, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. I just can't tell you how long it'll be before we get there. Excellent. Stephen? I hope this cuts developers some slack for the long term. Honestly, that's probably the main thing that I am hoping to come out of this is that they will see that it really is important to wait until something is ready and not to push it out for some arbitrary date management set four years prior. Tim? Do you think people would be cool with it if our next episode was just us drinking beer and playing Jackbox and recording it? <laughs> we can do that on a stream. I think I that'd think be great. Only one way to find out. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, and for me, I hope along with that that you know that sense of community that uh, gaming has always meant to me. It comes back, and we get we get the chance to, you know as much as I love catching up with people online and talking with people on phone calls, it, nothing substitutes being in the room with someone you haven't seen for six months and having a beer or a coffee or, a, you know, a meat pie or whatever it is. Um, and just in and having a chat, you know, and, and over games, talking about games, talking about things associated with games, talking about, you know, what's coming out, what you like, all that sort of stuff is fun to do. And mm-hmm. I really hope that that returns sooner rather than later. All right, that's the end of this episode. It was a little on the depressing side, but I think it was a, a good show all round. Stephen, where can we find you and what are you working on? Uh, I am at Player2 or on Twitter as at Gorath44000 and I'm currently hoping to finish Trails of Cold Steel 4 sometime before the end of winter. <laughs> These games are so long. <laughs> They're so long. <laughs> They are, they are. Adam? Uh, obviously, you can see me on player two, although I have been so busy lately. Uh, yeah. <laughs> keep, keep an eye out for I'm, me, man. I'm hearing excuses. What's your Twitter handle? It's Garfield. Everyone knows me. G-H-A-R-P-H-I-E. And you're doing a lot of streaming still, though. No, that's the thing. That's even slowed up, too. So uh, not, not to get too much into my personal life, but let's just say... Uh, Nights like this where I can sit down and talk with you guys and have a have a chill, they're kind of a rarity at the moment. So it used to be my only window for like, hey, that's me time. And it's been taken a little bit away from me in the last uh, month and a half or so. So not a lot of streaming, unfortunately. Oh, that's, a sh- that's okay. It'll it's be back. Good. Tim. Yeah, family first. Yeah, since I sold that PS4, I couldn't do the review of Nier, and I'm still kind of bummed about it. I am at Pretend Be It on Twitter. I have Nier on PlayStation 3. Maybe I should just write a thing about, about that. Write about the old thing, yeah, and see if it's... The old, the one with the old yeah. man. And you can find me at huso81 or player2au. Head over to player2.net.au. Check out everything we do. I've got a judgment review up today um so it'll be definitely up when you uh listen to this um and a few things in the works as per normal um our mortal Kombat evening was a success adam joined us and there will be more in the future so we we learn a few lessons from it we made a bit of money for the terry campisi foundation and the next one will be better and namely that success is 
Did you rig up a Mortal Kombat game after the No, we didn't, just... unfortunately. But <laughs> I think what killed us the most was the R18 rating because there was about 30 really disappointed teenagers that couldn't come to that movie. <laughs> I mean, oh, I heard sucks. the event was a total success. There wasn't a single fatality. No, not one. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on this episode of... The-